0: Welcome back to the Heat Check Podcast Live. It is Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Patrick, and with me as always are my wingmen, Mr. Michael Benjamin and BSP Tallman. How are you guys doing on this last day of February?
1: Doing amazing, man. We got a big, big day tomorrow, so I'm just chomping at the bit and super excited to chat about everything. But Tallman, what's good, man? How are you feeling? what's going
2: on guys um oh yeah was it kd tomorrow just kidding i knew that <laughs>
0: yeah how long ago did we trade for him i was like that feels like oh, forever ago yeah it's, it's just taking a very long time finally hitting the court tomorrow in his debut against the charlotte hornets in charlotte uh no lamello ball he's out for the season with a fractured right ankle was it i believe horrible injury. I hate to see it. It almost looked like a non-contact injury, he kind of tripped himself up. But we're not here to talk about LaMelo Ball. We got a pretty big slate for you guys tonight. We're going to talk ASU hoops here real briefly and their tournament push coming up. Of course, the Phoenix Suns and Kevin Durant, and uh coming at you with a little bit of Arizona Cardinals talk and uh what's going on with them as they uh roll through this offseason and get prepared for the 2023-2024 campaign. But Let's go ahead and get right into it. First of all, uh, we saw on Saturday, I think it was, February 25th, ASU was down in Tucson taking on the Arizona Wildcats, the U of A Wildcats, and we got an incredible buzzer beater from beyond half court to seal the victory for the Sun Devils 89 to 88. Man, I remember you guys were blowing up my phone. I wasn't watching that game, but I think uh, some of you guys were keeping tabs on it. What did what you obviously went back and watched it? What would you think, Mike?
1: Uh, It was crazy, man. I I didn't get to watch the majority of it. I got off of work and then was listening to it on the ride home. It seemed like U of A was keeping pace, basically six to eight point lead. ASU would cut it back. And, you know, in the college game, man, it's just not as efficient. Lots of missed shots. But the last thing I I, I got home, kind of settled down for a second. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I got to turn this on and see the end of it. And as I turned it on, ASU was up by one. And they and U of A drive, drove to the basket and finished. And that's when there was like 29 seconds left. And we kind of saw what happened after that. But just crazy. I think uh, they were saying it was the first time that ASU was actually won in Tucson at McHale Center in about a decade. It's a good monkey to get off of your bat and hopefully gives this team some momentum trying to make a tournament push. So really cool to see. Even though I did go to U of A. I, I love the Valley. <laughs> so. You know, we're going to give props when props is due.
0: That's right. That's right. And I I find myself kind of rooting for U of A when they're in the tournament and ASU's stuck on the outside looking in. But hopefully, uh, looking like there's a possibility they'll both be in the tournament. I know uh, you mentioned uh, getting over that hump of winning down there in the McHale Center. Uh, Tom, and right before we launched, you were bringing up a stat. You said ASU's never won the Pac-12 championship or the Pac-10 championship.
2: Yeah, now it's the Pac-10, right? <laughs> Uh, no, I was, I was really shocked. I, I didn't know that. I mean, I ran through the list and it was like Arizona, 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 UCLA, UCLA, blah, blah, blah. but like, I didn't, I didn't know that they'd never won it. I mean, the school has been around for how many fucking years? <laughs> Long time. Too
1: many, too many. To Long count. Time.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, I guess I should have known that, but I, I did not. That was, it was impressive. Now, I don't know what our shots look like to break that streak of not
0: winning any <laughs> yeah. champion titles, because as we know, we got two tough matchups, or ASU has two tough matchups coming up in UCLA on Thursday, March 2nd, and then USC on Saturday, March 4th. Um, but I think the big game that everyone has their eye on is this one with uh, UCLA coming up here in a couple days. Obviously, they are the fourth seed in the nation, looking very strong right now, Um I Tom, and I hate to kick this back over to you, but what did you say the score was the last time these two squads met?
2: Oh man, you, you put me on blast right there. I exited out of it. Um, I think I Without you it was <laughs> 74 it to 62. Yeah, there you go.
0: Awesome. So, I mean, a 12 point game, honestly, it, on paper doesn't look that close, but sometimes, uh, you know, final scores don't tell the full story. So, hopefully, we can keep carrying this momentum into that game. I, I know. I was, I'm going to share some thoughts from him, but I was talking to our resident Valley Sports Plug contributor and ASU expert, Ben Miller, and kind of getting his take on what he thinks ASU's basketball's path forward looks like. And he he's thinking, or maybe more so hoping, that UCLA is kind of looking into the future and not too much worried about this game against ASU. You know, they're pretty much already a lock for the tournament. They're going to have more more efforts to be made in the next month or so rather than this game on Thursday not to mention they have a big matchup themselves against U of A on Saturday so Mike do you buy into that at all the possibility of UCLA maybe not taking this game as serious when they come out on
1: Thursday I think you have to a little bit I mean the the focus is in the future not just with that matchup with U of A but the Pac-12 tournament trying to sure up your seating for the March Madness tournament, I mean, I think right now the two teams from the Pac-12 that are already locked are UCLA and Arizona. So you can see maybe the gas not being pushed as as hard. And I mean, UCLA and Arizona State, yeah, they've been in the conference forever, but I don't think that they're the biggest of rivals. So it's not a game that they're going to sit down and lay dead for, but it's an opportunity that Arizona has or Arizona state has to get at least one of these wins. And if they can get it against UCLA with another quad one win, I mean, that just really shores up your opportunity. Cause right now I think Arizona is on Arizona state is on the last four out. So if you get it, get another big high profile win within your tournament, maybe go and make some noise in the PAC 12 tournament as well. It gets hard to keep them off of the 64. So, ah, uh, I hope so man that if we can get as many Pac-12 representatives into the tournament that's what we always want as far as a conference so give those guys an opportunity you never know yeah most definitely and and for people who might not know
0: what does it mean to be the first four out when it comes to the the tournament
1: so are, are you how ta- are you asking me this question I mean if if Talman knows like he, he
0: can he can chime <laughs> right in is that, but is that like the, the, the turn before the bracket starts before the pool of 72, uh, it's like those play-in games. Is that what that means? Or does that mean like you don't even make it to selection Sunday? No,
1: I don't think you would make it to those play-in games. You know, they have the first four in, which are basically the ones that would play in those uh, play-in games, which I, I, the seedings are always a little bit different. I think it's like 12 is one game. And then one is one game is for like the 15th seed and one side of the bracket, but it's it's all a combination of things right it's your quad one quad two just the amount of wins that you have there's a a points level basically that goes into how they're trying to see these team schedules because it's so hard there's so many different conferences there's so many different levels of play they try their best you know I'd say it's probably a little bit better than what's going on with NCAA football <laughs> but you know you it's just hard to look at a team that if ASU could somehow just finish the season with under nine losses or just finish with nine losses, how can you keep them out? Because, you know, you're looking at a team that's what 22 and nine with some good high profile wins in that. And they started off the season strong as well too. So, you know, I I'd reward higher profile conferences with teams to make it instead of giving some, weird little school like mcneese state or something like that you know a 13th seed over an asu you know it just it just helps the conferences consolidate what they're trying to continue to build because the other thing that goes along with it is the pac-12 is just trying to hold on for dear life with all these conferences eventually you know splitting up and we already have two teams that are eventually leaving i think within the next couple of years as well so if we can continue to be within that high profile notoriety, you know, hopefully some of these teams will want to stay within the Pac12 or Pac10 or eventually Pac8, who knows. So, the more teams we can get at it at the better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for uh, as far as the brand goes for the Pac12 and rebuilding or retaining that, I think it's very important. Um Cody, I want to ask you when it comes to, of course, Selection Sunday and seeding this bracket, they, they're going to look at the whole season and the big picture. But I feel like a lot of it is also like, what have you done lately? Um, from your, from your seat, how much do you think this and the season end here is going to impact
2: their chances of making it in, or do you think it will have an impact? Oh, it's going to have an incredible impact. I mean, Mike, like you said, if, if they can have nine losses, it's, it's not going to happen in my opinion. Um, these last two games are going to be crucial. And man, I don't know about UCLA. If, if they even have a chance against them, unfortunately, especially um, it's, it's in LA as well. So um, I think it's, or their only chance is if we can pull off that USC win, that would give them a chance, I think. And they make some noise like we're talking about in the, in the tournament or the PAC 12 tournament. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, looking at the conference right now, what they're 11 and seven in the conference. So it's, I mean if they don't if they don't win one of these games I I think it's going to be tough that they might come up short when it comes to uh, selection Sunday but I don't know UCLA is playing Arizona as well so last uh, so the, UCLA's last loss was against USC so USC beats UCLA um, Their they're loss before that, talking about UCLA's loss before they lost to USC. That's too many USs and whatnot, sorry. Um, but they <laughs> lost to Arizona, and then they lost to USC back-to-back. So we just beat, we being ASU, just beat U of A. So maybe we can come in and you know keep that momentum, and it's a tough task. Um, if I had to bet on it, I'm betting we're losing that UCLA, UCLA game, and we have a chance to win in the USC game. Um, but... These last two games are absolutely crucial. I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of people, that's probably the the consensus, is that
0: it's going to be a long shot for us to beat UCLA, right? But if we do lose to UCLA, then it just makes the USC game that much more important and in our chances of making it. So we're going to have, we're going to keep tabs on that. We're going to have to see. um, Before we jump off this topic, though, I did just want to share some of Ben's thoughts about this USC game or UCLA game coming up. Um, He he mentioned that given how we have played after big games, he's worried about UCLA since they are bigger than U of A. But if we play again like we did in Tucson, then we can turn it into a rock fight, really take them down to the wire, play tough. Uh, Things to watch out for will be foul trouble and how effective UCLA's big men can be at stopping ASU from offensive rebounds and in the paint. Um, From what I did see watching back of that U of A game is – uh, ASU was in a zone on defense, but they were doing pretty good at grabbing boards. So I think as long as they're keeping pace and staying in the game, that's all you really want at the end of the day is, is them to have a chance.
1: Right. And I liked his options that he basically gave as well to the possibility of making a tournament push. You know, you have your best overall outcome. You sweep both LA schools. You win one or two games in the Pac-12 tournament. That basically kind of gives you a 100% lock. He said as long as you're not losing it like a cal or stanford who has been kind of lowered towards the end in the pac-12 this year other option you can split uh, but both of those games have to be close or the one that you lose close it's got to be close and obviously the preferential win is going to be against ucla that's a, a bigger quad win that you can add to your resume and what was that third if you lose both games you would basically have to either win the pac-12 tournament or advance farther than you know, the last three schools that you play in the tournament, or you just get murdered and you end the year on a disappointing note. So we're not <laughs> hoping for that one. Yeah, I got
2: a few stats for you guys. Um so UCLA is undefeated at home. But oh good U U of A was fifteen and one at home and we came in and we won there. But UCLA hasn't lost and then it doesn't get better. USC is fourteen and one at home. Oh boy. So, but hey, at least next year, we don't have to worry about this as in both those schools will be gone. So, yeah. Is that a good thing though? Is that, yeah. Is that good? No, not, not for the league over or uh, the, not for the conference overall, Um, but basketball looking at this, I mean, it'll be a lot easier for this ASU basketball team next year. So. The landscape is definitely changing. Uh, it's going be,
0: gonna to be very interesting. But believe that we're going to be keeping tabs on this. I'm sure we'll have been on over the next month or so as we move into March and all the madness that ensues there. But I don't want to bury the lead, guys. We got some big news to talk about. Like we said in the beginning, Kevin Durant making his debut with the Suns tomorrow in Charlotte. Booker's been struggling a little bit. He's 3 of 18 in his last three games. That's 16.7% not doing so hot. We dropped that last game against the Bucks when it really looked like we should have won it. Mike, what are you you hoping to see from KD tomorrow
1: in his debut? Obviously, he's going to be on a minutes restriction, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see maybe 22 to 25 minutes out of KD, especially with the opponent that we're playing in the Charlotte Hornets. They've just lost their best player, so they're going to be in panic mode just trying to figure out how to fill the lineup for the rest of the year i mean at least for their sake they're at the very bottom of the eastern conference probably pining for a number one overall pick this year so they're going to be in tank mode but you're looking to see how fast these guys can fit together on the floor in regards to spacing understanding you know to give up those options where you know there's just so many high profile scorers on this team you don't have to force things you can always look for the best option and sometimes that best option is going to be KD at the free throw line extended just going up over guys where it would be the hardest possible shot that you know me and Chris could possibly even imagine trying to make but you know it's going to be a short sample size to start. You want to get him in. You don't want to overextend him because, you know, like we said, it's all about being healthy for the playoffs and this eventual playoff run that this team is going to have. You hope to win some games going down the stretch to stay within the top half so you can have some, you know, home court advantage throughout the playoffs, but I don't think that is the preference for this team. It's just about taking these last 21 or 22 games figuring out how everybody fits together and i think it's going to come to fruition faster than most people can imagine so like i said i'm just chomping at the bit for tomorrow i can't wait to see him in that you know purple and orange it's going to be crazy
0: I think it's fair to say that you're speaking for all Suns fans and saying that I know we've all been chomping at the bit we've been seeing all the promotional stuff the Suns are putting out him shooting shots and warm-ups those sideline views it seems like he's already starting to, to integrate with these guys but I mean I don't know what else you expect him to do he already does have some familiarity of course with people on the team he came over with TJ Warren played with Book and Chris Paul on Team USA and uh, I believe was coached by Monty Williams in Oklahoma City briefly um, at some capacity but Tom and there's some people that are expressing concerns about how quickly this team will be able to gel for this eventual playoff push is is that a concern of yours or do you think they'll they'll get it together pretty quick
2: it's it's a little concerning for me um but i i don't know it's because I, I remember hearing someone say you know it's because sometimes the super team doesn't always work right you know oh you guys look great on paper but they just don't they don't mesh. Well, like you said, they don't gel well, but I don't know. Someone was saying, I mean, you got three guys, three main guys on the team that just love the game of basketball. And Kevin Durant is one of them. Chris Paul's one of them. D books, one of them, they're just, they just love playing ball, you know? So I think that's going to be a big part of it when they all come together. I mean, and then you, you saw how uh, Durant fit in, in uh, golden state. I don't think, I think he can play anywhere. but there's always that little concern of, you know, how much time um, have they actually been able to, you know, play together and practice together and all that. I mean, there's obviously there's going to be a little bit of unfamiliarity with that, but I'm not worried. I'm not super worried about it. I think we might see a little bit of Russ, him coming off that injury, Um, but he's going to take so much pressure off of Devin Booker and Chris Paul that it's eventually it's going to come together well. And I don't think it's going to take the rest of the season to do that. I think they'll make a push I think they'll figure it out. Um, but again, I I think he just, he just fits in everywhere, everywhere he goes. So, um, I don't think he's going to hold us back because he's never played with them before, but shit, I wish his, his debut in that Jersey was at home. That would be so cool. But Hey, um, it's, it's crazy. It's,
0: I'm with you, man. It still hasn't settled in like (laughs) Kevin Durant is a son and I've been saying I'm really not going to believe it until I see him step out on the court and, and that's about to happen. So I agree with with your sentiment there and what what Ian just said. Katie is a plug and play. I think there is plenty of time left in this season where they'll be able to get it together. I think my only concern, though, is how injury prone our big three guys are here and you can even throw D.A. into that mix and maybe injury prone isn't fair, but having the the you know These guys have been in and out of the lineup, so when it comes down to building that chemistry, and, that, and it's not so much will they be able to gel as will they be able to get enough reps together and build that camaraderie in the amount of time, but I'm with you. I think it's going to be just fine, and they'll be able to make a deep playoff run with this squad. I know a lot of people are quick to point out, well, Harden, Kyrie, and KD were all on the nets, and they had over a season to do it, but Really, when you look at how many games, what was it, like 17 or 20-so games that they played together? They really didn't play that much. Um, so it's all going to come down to how many reps they can get and and what they can do here with this last bit of season. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about that that chemistry and the rotation now that we have a lot of talent on the roster. We added Terrence Ross. We added TJ Warren. TJ Warren and Darius Baisley, I forgot we even traded for Darius. He hasn't sniffed the court since we got him. So I kind of part of me wonders like why James Jones made that move if we're just not even going to play him or or if he even consulted Monty, but that's something to entirely you know else to get into. And I guess honestly we could get into that now, Mike. I kind of want to ask you like what do you think about Monty Williams and his rotation so far? Kind of sticking with uh, his guys as he's said in, in press conferences.
1: Right. Like you just said, the one thing we know about Monty is he loves his guys. I think we were talking about the other day, you know, one of his guys is Ish Wainwright. That's why we saw him get his two-year deal. One of his other guys that used to be one of his favorites that we wondered in key times in the playoffs, he was getting an extended amount of time and just was kind of a head scratcher was Abdul Nader. But, you know, I think the move for Darius Baisley in regards to letting go of Dario Saric was more so a possible move for the future. Not really right now. I mean, with adding Kevin Durant and these bench players, there just wasn't going to be a lot of, of floor time for Dario. And he was coming down towards the end of his contract anyways. So if you can bring in, you know, a six nine guy like Baisley, who can handle the ball, who can shoot a little bit, and is super young. I think he's still like 22, 23 years old. He has a lot to learn in the NBA game. So he's just not ready to contribute for a team like this that's ready to make a title push. In regards to TJ Warren, I think we're still kind of in the mix of trying to figure out you know, that floor time in regards to what KD coming onto the floor looks like, and then how you kind of bolster that second unit. Because now you're talking about, well, if you're going to go with Josh Akoge in the starting lineup, you're moving Tory Craig back to that second lineup who is going to take minutes from uh, TJ Warren. And and Tory Craig has become a Monty guy at this point. So I, I, for my sake, I'm okay if they don't do anything with Darius Baisley. I know there were talks about possibly bringing on another addition. And if that were the case, Baisley might be the one that had to be cut. Um So that could have been something that they kept in mind, but they ended up signing Ishwane right to that two year deal. I know there's still been a lot of talks about possibly Derek Rose signing to this team, but I think there's still a roster spot open. So they basically kind of solidified those two way guys and what's going on with that. But I'm really, I'm really still wondering in regards to what's happening with TJ Warren. I know that he can bring a scoring punch off the bench, but I think that's what Monty is seeing with Terrence Ross in the amount of minutes that he's getting as well. Like all of that scoring punch that you need from that second unit is coming from Terrence Ross. So I don't know if you need to have both of them on the floor because there is a little bit of a lax in the defensive department when it comes from both of those guys. So if you have two of just scorers on the floor, but you can't guard, you know, you better be making every shot (laughs) to, to keep pace with your starting lineup. But the last thing I'll say is I think it's going to be a seamless transition. Basically, just like Ian said, 10 games, I'd be surprised if it takes that long. The, the two people I'm not worried about mixing with him is Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker. The one that I still kind of have some thoughts about and wonder how his energy is going to you know, be a, a changed or adjusted from adding Kevin Durant is obviously DeAndre Ayton. But I also think he has the most to gain because he's going to be probably the one that the least of, you know, the least amount of attraction is going to be going to him. You can space Kevin Durant and him on the blocks. DeAndre Ayton has become a great free throw line extended shooter. You can count that money every single day, it seems like. And he's one of the most efficient big men in the game. So he has the most to benefit in regards to having mismatches. It's just going to come down to this team making sure they still utilize him and understand that he's a force to be reckoned with and he can help us go a long way. And in bringing
0: up DeAndre Ayton there, you do have me thinking a bit. I mean, I know – i don't I don't know how how accurate the reports were in the off season, but the rift between Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton was kind of a narrative. I mean, with the amount of money you're playing paying him and he is a talented player, I know we rag on him a lot, but that's because we have high expectations of him, and we know what he shows that he's been capable of at times. It's just, there's always frustrating things with DeAndre. And I mean, in that last game Sunday against the Bucs, we were all kind of watching that together. And one stat that really stood out to me was at the end of the third quarter, DeAndre Ayton only had five rebounds. In my eyes, that's just absolutely unacceptable. I think he ended up at the end of the game having double digits. He had 10 or 11 boards, but why are you waiting until the fourth quarter to start pulling in these rebounds? It just, I get it. I get it. The ball might bounce a little bit weird, but DA's got to continue to put the pedal to the metal and be aggressive. And with having fewer looks, potentially he's really got to pick his spots and make sure that he's taking full advantage. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we we do have this deep bench and guys like um, Tori Craig and Josh Akogi have been stepping up. I'm looking here at my new favorite website, stat muse. And in just the last five games, Josh Kogi's averaging 17.2 points, 6.2 rebounds and nearly two steals. Like, that's what you want to see. I mean, Tom, and out of all these new additions, and you can even throw Josh Kogi in there, who do you think is really going to play the biggest role, you know, coming off the bench for this team going forward?
2: Oh, the bench. I was going to say whoever is in that fifth spot is going to be, make, is going to make or break us in a sense. Um, coming off the bench, uh, I would say, man, they're all...
0: Well, and not to, while you think about that, not to cut you off, but that's a great point. Like that fifth slot, I think that could be ever changing depending on who's playing well at the time. I mean, I think when the trade went down, everyone kind of was like, well, TJ Warren, duh, right. He's going to be in there, but yeah. Tory's looking like a, getting the start. Yeah.
2: It's looking like a Kogi I, or it looks like he deserves that chance to come in. Um, coming off the bench, it's either going to be TJ or Ross. I mean, as, especially when we go in the playoffs, it's your depth. I mean, they're not, you know, the people at the end of half of the bench is not even going to play Um, in a sense, you know, you're going to tighten it up and, you know, we're going to be playing a lot more minutes, but I I, I got to say a Kogi at number five or that five spot, not number five um, as that fifth starter, I think is, is something that they should really keep riding. Cause like you said, that average, the last, I don't know, you said five or 10 games. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we got to see some life out of TJ because he's got the talent. Um, I mean, I saw uh, Kruber made that comment that, you know, TJ's looked a little uh, less athletic after his injury, but I mean, he can score and we need that guy that can score. But then also that surprising uh, play with, with Ross, you know, getting that, that, like Mike said, that only spark off the bench has been him because I mean, Tory Craig, I mean, he stepped up, he's been playing some good defense, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, the guy just, he can't score. <laughs>
1: No,
0: I mean, you're right. Um, I did kind of botch the quote there a little bit. Monty in the press conference said there's just a lot of guys to play in regards to why T.J. Warren hasn't really been sniffing the floor. It's kind of true. I mean, we do have great depth now, which is a concern of ours. I think if you go back, we were expressing concerns about that earlier in the season. But, Mike, I want to ask you when it comes to these rumors about. Adding uh, Derrick Rose, he, he hasn't, I, I think I saw over the weekend, he isn't really looking for a buyout from New York. So that might be more of a one-sided interest on the Suns part. Uh, but then Ian mentions uh, rumors of Melo. And if you're, uh, if you're a millennial, that's Carmelo Anthony. If you're Gen Z, that's LaMelo Ball. But we're talking about Carmelo Anthony. Do you think it would benefit the Suns to add these aging superstars who, again, add to the injury-prone nature of that what, what that comes with?
1: Well, I'll start with D-Rose. I think the thought process in regards to bringing another point guard in is just insurance for campaign. You know, he's missed extended amount of time, multiple times this year. He just came back. He had a nice, you know, first game back against Oklahoma City. But, you know, from what we heard is if it's one wrong step on that that foot, like it could be the rest of the season that he's out. So I think that's just what you're looking at. I think Derek Rose would do – what you would need him to do in that second uh you know that second unit bring a little bit of a scoring punch but control the pace get the ball to our shooters and make smart plays because he's a super veteran in this league now I've been very impressed what he's been able to do with the back end, the back end of his career and still stay relevant and make you know teams you know push for playoffs so but when it comes to mellow i don't want him anywhere near the phoenix suns man i mean we already have enough scoring punch off the bench and he doesn't play a lick of defense so i don't want him anywhere near here i know you talk about those guys kind of like maybe last hurrah give him an opportunity but what is he going to do he you want him to take minutes over tj warren who's not playing you want him to take minutes over uh you know tory craig or terrence ross who are you know Torrey Craig is already a Monty guy Terrence Ross is becoming a Monty guy and it sounds like they kind of promised him minutes in regards for him to even sign here so I don't think that's an addition that you need for this team we just already have enough scoring if you're thinking about bringing anybody else in it's just for insurance policy or adding extra defense because we got enough firepower as it is Yeah, that's a great point bringing him in as an insurance policy because
0: not only is campaign having that nagging injury, but every year in the playoffs, it seems Chris Paul is limping or grabbing at a knee or an elbow or something that's going to keep him out. So you don't want to get into a position where you're in the second round or even in the conference final or even in the finals, God forbid, and one of your point guards or both of your point guards go out and then you're left with point book. I mean, I don't think we're out, shit out of luck if that's the case, but you do like you say want that insurance policy. I mean, uh, Landry Shamit, six man of the year. Uh, I, has, has has Landry Shamit
1: been sniffing the court? I think he's still out with injury at the moment. Oh, that's right. So I mean, and that's another guy. I mean, he's been at with the Monty guy. for yeah. for a couple seasons now. You know, what do you do if he comes back in? You know, he had some good stints filling in obviously it didn't translate to wins earlier this season but he had some huge scoring output games and like you said there's just it's becoming too many people that we have to play which is just crazy to think about from where we were at one point only having eight to nine guys being able to dress because everybody was hurt and we were like At that point, like, why don't we sign Mello? I mean, we literally need anybody. So bring somebody in. But, you know, maybe those guys just knew we had to, you know, ride this one out until we could get to the trade deadline and, you know, bolster this thing up for the playoff run. So these are good problems to have at the end of the day. So I'm just okay
0: where we are. Absolutely. I mean, I think – I can speak for myself in saying that a month or so ago, I was feeling a little bit nervous, a little bit maybe of like, what are we going to do? Do I still trust James Jones? And all of a sudden here, it's really, really starting to come together and we're being propelled or forced into the, the national media conversation, which is what we've always wanted. Um, more or less, but it is interesting to see these names floated around. Derrick Rose, Carmelo Anthony. I've even seen Lamarcus Aldridge expressing interest of coming out of retirement. Uh, you're talking about the buyout market, like jo- adding a guy like John Wall. I, I don't know if they're done. Um, I think they could be, but if they add one more piece, I- I'm okay with that also. But before we go on and talk Arizona Cardinals, Tom and I got to get, of course, a betting perspective from you here. When it comes to tomorrow, if you're placing a same game parlay, are you taking Kevin Durant over or under 25 points?
2: Oh man, uh, under. I'm taking under. Uh, Mike mentioned it earlier he's gonna be he's gonna have a short leash. He's gonna be on restriction, so I'm I'm going under on that one. And I hope I'm wrong, but I don't know that game. It, it screams we're going to be up by 20 at halftime, and I, I don't know if I'm even going to bet on it. But And I say that now. I'm probably going to bet on it, but I'm taking under.
1: <laughs> you know, if you said 20 over under 20, I'd go with over. Yeah, I think I, that he wants to come out and make a presence right off the bat. And I think he's been ready for the past week and a half, right? He was just buying his time probably better to not have him come back against the bucks even though he probably would have helped us win that game you know you think to yourself wow the suns they had an opportunity and we almost put it to the bucks we just kind of faltered at the end and we didn't have kevin durant which is crazy but the bucks didn't have be honest. so it was just kind of tit for tat in regards to that but i think he's going to come out firing they're going to get him really heavily involved early but like Talman said, I mean, this one could be, you know, out of hand early to the point where most of our guys are playing 23 minutes after that, and Bismack Biombo is playing 25, 28 minutes, you know? Exactly. So if it was 20, I'd say over. 25, I'm a little iffy. I'm with you there, Tallman. I might just for shits and giggles go with an over, but I, yeah. I feel like he ends with, with 23, 24, so he's just right in the middle there exactly and then booker needs his 25 you know
2: and then what's is ayton gonna get his 16 17 18 i mean i'm curious to see oh flirt with 35 come on Kruger. um i'm (laughs) curious to see you know that kind of i don't know that the ball distribution and who's gonna how they're gonna share the ball and i mean you know it's gonna be you know booker's gonna have 35 one game KD will have 25 then They'll just they'll flip flop, but I'm curious to see how it comes out. And I lied, I'm I'm gonna bet on it. Got <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah. How do you not on the first? I one? think Been I think waiting for this. Right,
0: no, absolutely. But expectations wise, I mean, I think it could. I see it kind of going both ways, right? Because you you're worried about the minutes restriction, but also you want to have a good debut, not only for the Suns fans but for the the Suns in general. Get that boost, feed the beast. I mean, we all know what Kevin Durant is capable of. I just can't wait till hopefully we start seeing some 20-20-20 games. And I'm talking book 20+, Durant 20+, Ayton 20+ and Chris Paul having 20 assists. So maybe that's a, a quad 20. But the 20 assists might be a pie in the sky, but either way, I'm going to I'm going to tune into that game tomorrow. I'm going to be watching that. It's going to be a historic night for the Phoenix Suns, and all, all eyes on Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns tomorrow, and just really excited to see what we can do here with the last couple months in the NBA season. So, fellas, the Arizona Cardinals offseason is in full swing. We got a GM, Monty Austinfort. We got a head coach, Jonathan Gannon. Uh, now we have an offensive coordinator, Drew Petsing, and the defensive coordinator is Nick Rallis. Uh, these guys have all been introduced they're still filling out some position coaches here and there and and we'll get some more uh, you know news on that in the coming days i'm sure knowing how this usually goes the day after we do a live stream there's some major breaking valley news so uh be on the lookout follow our social medias and and we'll we'll keep you in tune but mike uh, how are you feeling about the uh the building of this this coaching staff so far
1: you know what? I've been impressed, man. And I've been impressed with these press conferences, specifically for Rallis and Petsing. You know, one thing that I noticed very at the beginning was, you know, Jonathan Gannon's not going to leave his guys out to dry. He was right there with them. You know, those are his guys. He's riding with them. And Nick Rallis, you know, for a 29-year-old guy, just had a very strong presence no nonsense seemed like he's ready to go he understands what he wants and there was still kind of like a like a you know a friendly back and forth tiff between both of them and you can tell that they have a good relationship so i think that's just a great thing that's gonna help for this team you know as we turn the corner and start to build this franchise going into a different direction drew petzing 36 year old still a little bit younger on the on that side but you know one thing that jonathan gannon said he's not looking at age he's looking at can you do your job are you fit to what we're trying to build here and do you want to be a cardinal do you want to be a cardinal man that's the that's the main thing that this team needs because when you have such a big change i mean we've seen adrian wilson he just went over to the carolina panthers there's going to be a a completely different culture here so if you have a strong leader who's ready to go to bat for his guys already i'm excited so you know once again we we can talk about expectations they're not very high but to start and what we're seeing at least being projected to us i'm excited for that so
0: I have to agree. I mean, I, I know on here myself we were we were pretty hard on the the hiring and kind of poking fun at these guys, but I've honestly been really impressed with Jonathan Gannon. He presents a clear message, a clear plan, and really communicates very well. Uh I and like you said, he didn't hire these guys because he wants to build a young staff. He hired them because they want to be here. And I, I watched that entire press conference with Rallis and It just seems like they already have a really good chemistry. Clearly, they've obviously worked together. And I think that's really gonna help in in building this out. And I'm gonna emphasize again, these guys wanting to be here is huge. Um, Tom and I mean, I want to get your takes on this. I I, we obviously have started to see some more um on the Michael Bidwell show. I mean, Cardinals flight plan and um these and kind of what is your opinion right now of Jonathan Cannon and and this coaching staff?
2: I, okay, so I was I was really hard on it as well, um, you know, making the jokes of you know who's gonna who's gonna buy them all beer because you know none of them are old enough. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of with you guys. I mean, you, you can't you can't knock it until you see how it transpires at the end in the start of the season. Um, the one I guess positive takeaway that jumps out to me is it's starting to feel again like an actual. NFL franchise where you yeah, have a head coach come in and he brings in his guys and it's not a coach coming from or a coach that's never been in the league and a GM's creating a staff for him so uh, that's that's good positive we have that again Um, I mean we, we lost that big time when BA left you know BA came BA came in and he brought in his guys so Gannon's coming in he's bringing in his guys, people that he's got that connection with, um, that relationship with, people that you know maybe will come together as an actual team and we'll be able to put something good together on the field. So age is a little scary. Or I shouldn't say age. Um, that's not doesn't matter how old you are. It's experience. The experience is a little scary, but. I, I guess, you know, I, I can't really talk shit until we see what happens. And um, I really right now, I mean, fuck, fuck And right now it's, but what is, what is Monty Austin for going to do in this off season? Cause he's got, he's got a lot of work to do. So right now it's the Monty show and we need to figure out what this, what this team's going to look like. Cause he's picking up a crappy team and he's going to have to try to make it a lot better with not a lot of room to work with, with that cap being so big so or um, being so small. But I don't know. It looks like they're going to keep Jeff Rogers, too, who is our special teams coordinator. Uh, hope, hopefully he can stick around. Um, that'd be good. But also curious to see some of these position coaches, if uh, if what changes they're going to make there. But um, very young. It's scary. But I mean, hey, it, we're, we're starting to look like an actual NFL team again. Yeah, and I like what you highlighted there as far as him
0: being able to bring in his guys, uh, like we saw with BA, but we didn't see with Kingsbury. Kingsbury looked nervous and out of place from day one, and he had to have Kime build out his whole staff. And we may never know what the full story is of what happened there in the last couple of years of that regime, but we got a whole, we wiped the slate clean, like you meant, just mentioned there, the special teams coach keeping a couple guys around, but a lot of change around the building and hopefully change for the better, but we really won't know until the games start being played week one. But you're right, it, it is the Monty Austin Fort show. There is a lot of work he has to do in building out this roster and a lot of questions. So, I do want to dive into some of that right now. I was watching a press conference he was giving today at the NFL Combine, and uh, some really good questions were floated out there. Uh, one of them being about adding competition, specifically at the quarterback position. And he mentioned that he thinks it's good to add competition at, at all positions. And And, Mike, I just kind of do you read into that as maybe bringing in someone to challenge Kyler for the starting QB position. And maybe from my perspective, maybe going as far as drafting a quarterback.
1: I think so. I mean, like we've said, Kyler Murray isn't a Gannon guy. He's not an Austin Fort guy, right? So they're trying to build this team to their standards. And, you know, I know that Michael Bidwell has said that his high profile quarterback is Kyler Murray. We understand that, but I don't think competition ever hurts at a professional level because it just keeps those juices going and understands that if you don't work and you don't put in the time and effort to your craft, there's already, there's always somebody out there that is willing to do it and work twice as hard as you, you know, they might not have all the skill sets that a Kyler Murray does, not the, you know, the legs that he has, not the ability to throw the football, but if they work and they show that they can get the job done, I mean, how does competition hurt anybody? And that's what this team needs. You know, we've, we've had too many divas out here for too long. We've had too many guys just shouting and, and getting into matches. I mean, one of the other things that we heard about Cliff Kingsbury, you know, in the past couple of seasons is that, you know, the season would go along and he doesn't have any conversations or discourse with certain guys or certain coaches or this kind of stuff like that can't happen with the franchise you guys have to be on, on somewhat of the same page at least communicating what you didn't do or what your your viewpoint is to get you to that point so if you have guys coming in who are going to push each other at each position it's going to make these guys work and get to that next level where this team needs to go so It's going to be really interesting to see who gets resigned who gets you know brought back is Byron Murphy going to get extended again you know what's going to end up with going on with D hop it sounds like kind of Austin Ford is on the same page as most Cardinals fans he's out the door we're going to try and get some kind of capital for him and then who are we going to take at three who's going to be there to start because I think that's going to be the big key Splash that this team is going to have to make to show okay what is this team all going to be about and if they end up taking a will Anderson or Jalen Carter that means that they're going to build from the defensive line and hopefully the offensive line out which we know the game of football is one in the trenches and we've been trying to win with all of these pretty pieces out on this on you know the outside a nice new tight end a a high profile receiver well if Kyler Murray can't stand up and is being sacked four times a game and eventually tears his ACL you find out where you are so you have to build inside out so but to answer your question Chris competition should always be invited if you're a professional because it makes you work harder than you know the next guy to make sure that your spot is there
0: and I, I totally think that's a great strategy. You, you welcome the competition and you don't want Kyler to be too comfortable. I think there's, so, I think there could be something to say for maybe he did feel comfortable knowing that he got the big deal. He was the guy and that's why they brought in cliff and drafted Kyler. It was so they could be the, the duo made in heaven. I mean, I think, you make up a you bring up a great point where Kyler isn't a Gannon guy, but at the same time he did say that he probably wouldn't have taken this job if Kyler wasn't here. And I know it's it could you can say it's all talk, but he did say to Kyler's face, you know, I think the quote was something like not every head coaching vacancy has a franchise quarterback. So there's at least part of him that believes that Kyler is the guy. But outside of the draft Tallman, when it comes to adding more depth at the quarterback position and, and some of the names out in free agency, I was seeing today that uh, Mar- Marcus Mariota's free agency. Uh, you got Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, some of those bigger names. Um, do any of those guys kind of pique your interest, or, or what are you looking at for that position?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, you guys want uh Carson made a glass Wentz? That'd be good, right? Did um, he have? Did he? Was he in Philly at the same time as Gannon? No, no.
1: he wasn't. Oh, okay. No, he yeah. Again, did again you see after, Ron, yeah. Ron Rivera came out and said, "Hey, he did the best he could." oh man that's kind of a low blow dude if you ask me that that
2: really is um no no Wentz he I think his his best days are behind him I think he's he's going forward as he's just going to be a backup and collect a paycheck um someone I'd be kind of interested in seeing is a Baker Mayfield um I think he put a little spark into that Rams team that really had nothing to play for last season um but I mean I just I don't doesn't matter who it is. I don't think they're going to make that splash, that splash edition. And by splash edition, I mean, you know, one of those notable names that we're seeing float around that could come in and could be competitive. I just don't, I don't picture them doing it. Um, they're either going to, they're going to go the boring route and be like, Oh, David Blau is our guy or Colt McCoy is going to, you know, it's, it's going to be, I'm just envisioning that. I, I But I'm so stuck in this Steve Kime era of just dog shit management of this team that that's just what I expect. Uh, would that be awesome? We get, we bring in a, a Mayfield, and I know he's not the best, but we need somebody to come in. Mayfield would be great if we can somehow find a way to pay uh, Jacoby Brissett, you know, the money that he'd want. That would be incredible because right now, if we don't make that signing, we're taking that we're taking this season and we're we're throwing in the trash can. And you know how how man. You know how demoralizing that is to this entire fan base? You know, all those people that have to pay more money for season tickets. I mean, who's going to want to go watch this football team play at all next season if they don't at least try to do something at that position? Because McCoy's not the answer. David Blau's not the answer. And even then, the great best thing you said about um, about Kyler Murray was he's not a Gannon guy. He's not an Austin four guy. Neither is McCoy. Neither is... Well, fuck David Blau, but neither is Colt McCoy, you know? So I I'm picking Baker Mayfield it's probably unpopular, but
1: that's going to be my choice. What about Brett Hundley after an eventual two and eight finish in the XFL with the, uh, with the Vipers, would you like to bring him back? Dude, I'd rather see Robbie Anderson play quarterback. Oh,
2: oh, I mean, I mean chosen Anderson. Cause he, he had to change his name. Oh, cause you know, yes. cause you know, he's, he's really good. Uh, He's really. Good. He chosen
0: to not catch any passes last season, but I, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I like the I like the Mayfield idea for sure because when you're talking about those guys. That's kind of um, maybe second or third string, not a guy that's going to challenge Kyler for the starting role, but a guy who could fill in when he inevitably misses a few games. I mean, Kyler, he started out well. His first two seasons did play 16 full games, but in 2021, only 14 games. And of course, last season, only 11 games where it was plug and play at the quarterback position. It kind of seemed like, especially once Colt got banged up. Um, So I I do, I I like that. I like that um, Mayfield idea. Um, I do also I kind of was kind of go on back and forth with Wentz today but I I agree it could kind of be like a Sam Bradford 2.0 if we brought him in where high expectations and then low low value I mean he he has done absolutely nothing since he left Philly and really unimpressive Um, last last guy you mentioned there that I want to touch on is Jacoby Brissett I think if you can make that splash that could be a great guy who not only would be a great fill-in but honestly not necessarily challenge Kyler Murray for the starting position but Maybe be breathing down the neck of Kyler Murray a little bit where he's looking over his shoulder. Um, one thing I will say from what I've seen is it seems like Kyler Murray is attacking his rehab really hard. Um, I know a lot of people, myself included, criticize Kyler for his work ethic, um, citing his video game and Warzone playing. Uh, Mike sent me a pretty funny TikTok the other day where it was one of those deep fake voice videos of, uh, I think it was Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, and Tom Brady playing Warzone together. <laughs> Uh, those things are a little spooky, but they're fun. Um, but Kyler, no, back to my point though. He is working hard, and and he's doing the rehab. Mike, what are the, what do you think the chances are of him being ready to go week one, and or should they even bank on that?
1: No, there's no chance for week one. I, I don't think they should be forcing him back that early either. If he is ahead of schedule and he can get back week four, week five, that's great. But if he doesn't get back till week eight. I mean, you're still talking about a guy that you paid $258 million. You have to protect that asset, and you don't want to force him back, especially with still the unknowns. Like, So maybe if we go into training camp and we're looking at this roster and it looks like we might be able to compete for the NFC West, well, maybe if he has those you know competitive juices going, he'll want to get back earlier. But if not, and it's looking like we're going to be middle of the road towards the end, if he doesn't come back till week eight, that's fine. But you also don't want to put yourself in a position where if you just roll out Colt McCoy again, a guy who was getting injured after every single game that he played last year, who will probably eventually get hurt again, then you'll have to turn to your backup in what, week three, week four, still waiting for Kyler Murray. The last thing you want to be doing is going into into week nine, two and six, one and seven with Kyler Murray coming back. Because, yeah, it it helps to get more tape on him. He's, you know, working through his kinks. He's getting out of his injury. But that's a lost season. You have no chance to make a playoff push, even though the numbers won't say it. You know, we were talking about last year when we were 3-5 and and we're like, it's over. And what happened? It was freaking over before we even knew it. So, ah you just have to go outside of what we have in regards to the quarterback room and bring in somebody else to hopefully go 500 for the first eight weeks and keep this team in somewhat of contention to the point where can, when kyler murray comes back he might be able to help us go on a miraculous run but it would be miraculous is the key word at the end of the day you know there's still zero to low expectations for this team next year, unless we get some amazing free agent signings. But like Tom had already said, our cap is looking bleak. So we just got to make do with what we have right now and keep building for the future.
0: Right. Especially with the the whole new staff and and a lot of roster turnover that's going to happen. I think uh, VSP, I think I can speak for us when I can say that our expectation is that we at least win two home games this season. And, (laughs) That would be a great starting point. But you're right. You do need that stopgap guy, someone who can keep the ship afloat until Kyler Murray can get back. And I would much rather they take the care they need to make sure Kyler's 100% before they bring him back and not really force him coming back week one. Of course, we don't know what the schedule is going to look like yet. um, But it's the NFL, man. Any given Sunday, all these teams are competitive
1: all i know is that we'll be out in pittsburgh when the cardinals play them whenever that is so mark your calendars for that
0: sir god willing i might have to get one of those split jerseys where it's like cardinals on one side Steelers on the other side we'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it oh god like uh like kelsey you mom could get
1: right? a split you could get a split james connor jersey that would work perfect right there you go oh, <laughs> Well, Tom, I,
0: I want to do ask you this. Um, So we're talking about a lot about the quarterback position, but there are other needs on this roster and other ways that we can bolster both our offensive and defensive side of the ball. Um, Seeing a report here that kind of sparked my interest that the Buccaneers are reportedly set to release running back Leonard Fournette on March 15th. What would you think about playoff Lenny coming to the Valley?
2: Oh, I did see that. I didn't think we'd be talking about it though. Um. (laughs) Why not? i don't know man he just he at end of last season he showed he's got barely anything left in the tank man um i mean the season before that he had a good or their super bowl run he was solid but last season he just fell apart i think i drafted him in like the second round of our fantasy league which was a fucking mistake um he just, you did draft a lot of running backs, though, Tom, oh, okay. All so okay. All right, I was about right, to say, right. Tom,
1: and you're right. well, yeah, but I kind of a mistake, so I I don't know where you're taught. Where you're whoa, whoa, from. hey, oh,
2: hey, hey, I got fifth place, man, don't forget that, mm-hmm. okay? I started like oh, and fucking eight out of how many um, teams, eight, yeah. But it, do you remember how I started the season? Get that out of here, Get yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're keeping it warm, yeah. Look at that. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think he's. I mean, it's, it sounds sexy, right. But just another washed up person that you just don't have. I mean, a, a third or fourth or fifth round pick, could do the same job as him. So I don't think, he, I don't think he's worth any money to bring him on.
0: Okay. Well, Mike, do you, do you agree with that though? Like a young guy, fresh out of college is just going to be just
1: as good. Or is there something to be said for, for Nets experience? you always do like experience but i think specifically in regards to fournette i still see a lot of him in james connor he's kind of a bruising back he'll run up the middle he he'll have his fair share of carries you don't need to spell him with that the person that you need to spell james connor with is a little bit more of a speedster get him out on the outside or pass catching back i know leonard fournette did a lot of pass catching with tom brady but he's he's kind of at the end like you said but i think we're at that point too in regards to what we did see with you know you could speak specifically to the defensive side of the ball in regards to with what vance joseph would do when isaiah simmons and zavin collins first came in here they he didn't allow them to get their lumps out you know he was still sticking with oh my goodness who was the, the linebacker that ended up going to the vikings who was starting over um, Isaiah Simmons when he first started. Oh you gotta help me out here.
2: Oh, the dude we got from Philly. What's his name?
1: Yes. Oh now oh. Like,
2: man. Dude, how are we but anyways? <laughs> so he was sticking with all the, oh, these Jor- Jordan Hicks. Hit. Hick.
1: Yes, there you go. All right, we yes. figured it out. Hey, Mark, I knew right the first name. Is. All right. Fine journalism at work right there. But that's what. Vance Joseph was doing where he wasn't giving the opportunity to these young guys to go through their lumps, get more tape out so they could study themselves and come back the next year when we really needed them. You know, Zayvon Collins did have somewhat of a breakout year last year, but Isaiah Simmons is still trying to figure out what the hell he's going to be in this league because he's been thrown all over the place and you don't give him any kind of consistency to build up his repertoire with what he works on. So this team is going to be so fresh, so grass where there's going to be a lot of new guys who are playing, and I hope that these coaches give opportunities to these young cats and, and just get them out there and playing. Like, it can't be a situation where Isaiah Simmons is a top-10 pick and he's playing 10% of the snaps. Like, if we draft Will Anderson, he's got to be a three-down guy right away. It doesn't matter what kind of production you really get out of him. You need to give them those opportunities to learn and build from there, you know, instead of just trusting these old broken down veterans who are kind of capped out and are just getting you mediocrity at the end of the day, you know, so same thing with Zach Hertz. Once he got, once he got hurt, it was probably the best thing for Trey McBride, McBride because it forced him into the situation and is going to be getting him ready for next year. So. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and and that really, I really think from that
0: perspective, the Cardinals are in a unique position where we have no expectation of making the playoffs or a Super Bowl or anything even close to that. Where it's different from last year. I mean, I I remember sitting in this seat last year, thinking, "Dang, we got a lot of talent on this roster. We got J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler entering his fourth year. Like, we're gonna do some damage." And then just dropped a complete dud of a season on us. So now, going into this season, we. We have next to no expectations, like we mentioned, just win two games at home. So I, I really like like it from that perspective and agree that get these young guys their, their reps, man. Even if we only win three, four, five games, whatever it is, I mean, I hope we win more than that. But if that's all it is, if these guys can get their reps and build on that to start getting not only camaraderie, but the experience under their belt, I mean, let's go for it. Um, so we, we talked the player side. I want to talk real quick. We we mentioned so far liking the offseason moves of Brandon on Austin for and the coaching staff. But specifically when it comes to that GM position, like you kind of said at the top of the show, Mike, we did see the Carolina Panthers hire our very own Adrian Wilson as the VP of player personnel and Big congrats to him. I mean that's that's awesome. I think he does have ties to Carolina and the Panthers. Uh we do love Adrian Wilson here. Um I remember him winding up the siren, getting games going for us. But do you think that the Bidwell made a mistake by not having him be the GM and taking Austin for it instead or, or are you cool with Monty? I and mean, you want to take this one?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um V- very very cool with Monty. It needed to be an outside guy. We needed new culture. I mean, just it would have been scary if if Wilson got that job. nope No offense to him whatsoever, but it it had to be an outside guy. We needed to like we've said a thousand times already, needed to be completely destroyed and then we needed to completely rebuild it with a whole new culture, whole new guys at the top. So it I'm really glad it's not Wilson and I wish the best of him out um in his uh in Carolina, but it Monty all day. That was definitely had to be an outside guy. Could, and you're in your head there. It sounds, sounds like you agree.
1: Yeah, Tom and you hit the nail on the head. It was it was time to clean house, right? And Adrian Wilson has been working in a player personnel space you know, spot for a number of years now. If you can remember, he was the one who was hugging Larry Fitzgerald after that 2015, you know, win in overtime against the Packers. And he was the one who was running down the field when Byron Murphy scooped that fumble forced by Isaiah Simmons against the Raiders this season. So he's a Cardinals guy through and through. He's a Ring of Honor member, I believe, already. If not, he definitely will be. You know, he's a guy who went through, the very very high or the very very lows and the very very highs with the super bowl with this team so he understands you know the ebbs and flows of the nfl but he was around time for a number of years when you're around somebody for that long some of their stuff kind of just incorporates into your personality without you even knowing it so it was time to clean house and all good with bringing in austin fort and you know saying your goodbyes and you know, giving the proper gratitude to him that that you have to as an all time Cardinals great, but very happy we didn't <laughs> sign him as the GM. To be honest with you, i i i would have been I would have been in shock. To be honest with you.
0: Yeah, and, and I agree. I think it would have kind of signaled of maybe potentially it being more of the same, which isn't necessarily fair to Adrian Wilson. I think he could have done a good job potentially, but a fresh start, new faces. I think it's it's good for the organization. And Mike, you're right. Um, Adrian Wilson is in the Cardinals ring of honor. He uh, was inducted on September 27th, 2015. So it's been a while, but. Um, but guys, as we're wrapping up the show here and and talking about the Arizona Cardinals. Tom, and I'll, I'll kick it to you first. Do you have any uh, a wish list or anything you want to see the Cardinals do specifically this off season?
2: Oh shit, dude. I don't know if we have enough time for my full my full <laughs> wish list, but give um, us a quick yes. Oh, you got it. Um sign, retain, somehow keep Zach Allen. Sign, retain, somehow keep Byron Murphy. Dude, good luck with the offensive line. We have nine free agents. Somehow make us make us proud, surprise us, do something. You know, that would that's the probably the biggest weakness this team has right now. But we need those two guys on defense. And man, we we need a facelift at offensive line. And please just bring in somebody. Bring in a quarterback. Give us a chance. Give us something to look forward to. You know, bring in a quarterback that's going to be trying to show off and come in and try to play, try he's going to play this season for a starting job with a different team. You know, somebody that has a little bit left in, please just give us a chance this season. That's all I want for Christmas. That's fair. I like it. No. And, and those are great
1: points. Mike, what about you? All he wants for Cardinals Christmas <laughs> is right. his, his minimum four wins. Um, uh, dude, I'll go right off the top exactly with Tallman. Got to re-sign Zach Allen because it sounds like whoever we do go with the number three pick, or if we trade back, I think we're going to go with some kind of D lineman, whether it be on the interior or a linebacker who will come off the edge. And Zach Allen has grown a lot these last two years, specifically working with J.J. Watt, and he was coming into his own before his injury. So bring him back; he's going to keep growing and keep, you know, becoming a force that we were hoping when we drafted him out of Boston College. Uh, I'd love to get another cornerback or two back in here. You know, no disrespect to Marco Wilson or any of those other guys. It just seems like we've always had one high-profile cornerback and then just who knows around them. You know, just sure something up on the on the outsides. Um, figure out what you're going to do with Isaiah Simmons, whether it be bringing him off the edge or putting him back to safety. No more corners, no more slot corner. I don't want it. I don't want him majority of the time going on -on one-on-one matchups with tight ends. He's just, that's just not where you have him put out for success. And then on the offensive side, I'd love to see a bigger bodied wide receiver who can go up and catch 50, 50 balls. Doesn't have to be all speedsters. Doesn't have to be all short guys. You know, you need to have, uh, some some differentials in your weapons you know that's what I'm hoping for this year and then obviously yeah the last one was offensive line but we're we will figure out what the hell is going to happen with that but cross your fingers my goodness uh, at least no Rodney Hudson so move <laughs> forward and figure that one out first
0: yeah no you guys absolutely nailed it I think the offensive line is huge um, you know, outside of everything you guys said which I totally agree with, I think for me, I want to see them, Monty specifically, don't screw up this draft. Whether you're going to trade down, take a quarterback, whatever you end up doing, make sure that you make the right decision, take the best guys, and and like I was saying there a bit ago, even if that you're drafting these guys, draft guys that are going to play now. Get the best player available and let's start building a team that can be competitive a few years down the line cuz There's no expectation of us making the playoffs this year. So this is where we get better. So for me, it's don't screw up the draft and and we'll just have to wait and see. But you guys, best believe we're going to be keeping tabs on this. We're going to keep coming at you with more and more content, at least one live stream every week. We're getting more clips up every day. Next week, we got another Suns recap coming at you. So make sure you're following us at AZ underscore VSP, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And of course, Valley Sports Plug on YouTube and Facebook tallman michael benjamin did you guys have
1: anything else you want to say to the people yeah man i think the only thing is kd here we come that time is here reminder for the people the game is at five o'clock tomorrow so make sure that you put a calendar reminder it's a little bit early so most of you might be hitting the punch out at work and turn on the tv and watch kd let's go baby Get that east coast slate Talman. yep just same with mike let's
2: go 35
0: All eyes on the Suns and Kevin Durant tomorrow. Man, I can't wait. But we'll uh, be talking about that next time, you better believe. So make sure you tune in. But for Michael Benjamin, for VSP Tallman, I am Chris Patrick. And, of course, we'll see you next time. Peace.